to We Got Goals, a podcast by AsweatLife.com, in which we talk to high achievers about their goals. I'm Cindy Kuzma, and as part of our segment on creating a better earth, this week I have the honor of speaking with someone whose work I've long admired. Her name is Deborah Shore, and she's a commissioner at the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago. We can call it MWRD for short. Unless you're involved in city or county government or politics, you might not know what the MWRD does. However, if you are a human being in Chicago or in wider Cook County, you definitely benefit from its efforts. The work of this agency is vitally important to keeping the water we drink safe and also to preventing our basements from flooding with sewer water. And once you hear Deborah talk about some of the history of Chicago's waterways, you'll realize that that takes more work than you might think. Deborah came to conservation at a young age. The roots for her future path were laid in a brownie troop in Texas, she tells me. But politics came along a little bit later. She has this really beautiful way of describing what she calls the reciprocal nature of protecting the earth that makes it clear where her motivation comes from. And why water? Well, water, she says, is the only natural resource for which there is no substitute. It's critical to life, and while we can reuse it, we can't turn anywhere else to find its same life-giving benefits. I enjoyed this conversation on so many levels. For one thing, it's fascinating to talk with a woman in politics about how she got elected and re-elected, and also how she goes about pursuing the important work her agency does, especially when the goals conflict with those of, say, the pharmaceutical industry. Sometimes the work is about building coalitions, Other times, it's about standing up to strong opponents. And then there are days, she says, where it's merely about plodding forward one small step at a time. Listening to Deborah describe the life cycle of water definitely encouraged me to be more thoughtful in my stewardship of it. And this interview is chock full of suggestions about how to do that, from switching out your toilet to collecting the water that runs before your shower gets hot, and even knowing the answer to the age-old question. Is it better to throw food in the trash or to use a garbage disposal? You'll have to listen for the answer. There's also a reminder in here that one of the most important actions we can take of all is to vote, and to vote for officials who will make important decisions about protecting our planet. It was such a treat to talk with Deborah, and I am delighted to introduce her to you. I know that you'll learn a lot from her too. So here is my interview with Deborah Shore. Yeah, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not. This is Cindy Kuzma with the We Got Goals podcast, and I'm here with Deborah Shore, who is a commissioner of the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago. Deborah, thank you so much for joining us today on We Got Goals. Well, it's great to be here, Cindy. Thanks for the invitation. Of course. So this quarter, Deborah, as I mentioned when I invited you on the show, we at We Got Goals are talking to people who are creating a better earth. And I know you've worked toward that goal, that big goal, in so many different ways. I wondered how and when would you say that conservation first became important to you? That's a great question. I was a member of a brownie troupe, and at uh, summer camp we would learn about nature, collect leaves, uh, go on hikes. My best friend and her family were very outdoors-oriented, and I really got from them a love of camping and hiking. Uh, and started doing some of that with her and her family when I was in high school. Uh, And she and I have done a lot of climbing, uh, non-technical climbing, but and backpacking together over the years. And gradually I 
began thinking, uh, I love nature, but I live in Chicago. I, I need to learn more about nature near where I live, not solely in the Rockies or New Mexico. And so I found out about a group of volunteers who go out to the Cook County Forest Preserves and engage in habitat restoration, trying to restore health to the remnant prairies and oak woods and wetlands that are part of our precious forest preserve system. And I found that I liked the work and I liked the people. Uh, a writer named Bill Jordan has said that restoration is a reciprocal act, that in working to restore nature, it restores us, our bodies and our spirits. And I certainly found that to be true. And that led me more and more into getting more involved in politics, actually. Mm, interesting. <laughs> interesting transition there. Or uh, evolution, I guess, right? So why does water specifically matter so much? And how did you kind of come to realize that that was the case? Unlike fossil fuels, there are no substitutes for fresh water. And it's the substance on which almost all life depends. And while water is a renewable resource, it's also a finite resource. The water we drink, dinosaurs drank before us. It's estimated to be 4.6 billion years old. And so it's a precious and vital resource. And whether we are good stewards or not is going to be increasingly important in the future because there are more and more people on the planet all needing and requiring water to survive for growing the food they need, but also our bodies are 50 to 60% water. Sometimes in, when I give talks, I point out that if we run out of oil, the motor stops. But if we run out of water, life stops. Right. So what then is the MWRD and why is what you do there so important to the county and to the surrounding environment? So this is the agency that was founded in 1889 called the Chicago Sanitary District. And the reason it was founded because as Chicago became a booming metropolis following the completion of the Illinois and Michigan Canal in the late 1840s. Its population began exponentially growing. People were dumping all manner of human and animal and industrial waste directly into the Chicago River, which flowed into Lake Michigan, which was the source then and now of our drinking water. Not a good idea to put raw sewage into your drinking water. And indeed, people were getting sick from cholera, and typhoid and other waterborne diseases. So the city planners at the time knew that Chicago could not continue to grow if they didn't have a safe, secure source of drinking water. And they studied the problem and they came up with a plan to dig a canal between the south branch of the Chicago River and the Des Plaines River to build a lock at the mouth of the Chicago River and to reverse the river, to use water from the lake to flush raw sewage away from the lake. And the sanitary district was established to do that job, to protect the drinking water supply for Chicago by keeping sewage out of the lake. Gradually, several other canals were built, the North Shore Channel and the Cal Sag Channel, 
and subsequently sewage treatment plants were built and the service area has expanded to include almost all of Cook County and the name has changed several times but now its mission is twofold to uh, treat sewage and thus protect drinking water supply but also to manage stormwater so mm -hmm. it has a key role to play in how we manage two of the three pieces of our freshwater ecosystem. Right, the stormwater, which has been a bit of an issue <laughs> lately, right? Um, that's It's so interesting to think back on the history of how that came about. I was reading some of your previous writing about it and just the images of what it was like during that time before they reversed the flow of the river where you said fish were washing up in people's bathtubs. And I mean, just to think about the challenges that we faced back then um, and the ingenious way that that the city came up with <laughs> to to reverse engineer that is pretty incredible. I try to imagine sometimes walking over the Michigan Avenue Bridge or other bridges, the, what that river must have been like and how stinky and fetid and congested it was with commercial boat traffic and waste. Uh, it, mm -hmm. It's really hard to imagine. And indeed, the construction of the waterway system was a magnificent engineering feat and I would submit allowed Chicago to become a great metropolis. It is pretty incredible. I mean, it must be for you too, knowing all the history and all the work that you've done to walk along the Riverwalk and see what it's like now. It is remarkable. And, and where once there were no fish species in the mm -hmm. Chicago River, because when there was raw sewage, that would suck up all the oxygen, leaving none for aquatic life, because of the Water Reclamation District and the sewage treatment and now uh, even other measures to keep more pollutants out of the water. There are between 60 and 70 fish species. It's become much cleaner. The water quality is much better. And as a result, people are on it and along it and enjoying it and deserving and demanding of better water quality conditions. Mm -hmm. Although I did hear that they're not going to be doing the swim this year, like they were trying to, talking about, right? I'm not sure it was because the water quality or just the permitting, permitting process. Right. But yeah, there, we will see people swimming in some stretches of the Chicago waterways uh, in the next few years. That will be that'll be an interesting day. <laughs> sure. I participated in what my colleague Commissioner Josina Morita called the big jump a couple of years ago where she is organized each year now a number of elected officials uh, jumping uh, the first year we did it at ping tom park mm -hmm. into the chicago river to demonstrate that the water quality is much better yeah. and you look fabulous so i think it's okay right so good so you mentioned that it was your volunteer conservation experience that kind of led you to get into politics um could you tell me then how you got to the MWRD? What made you decide that that was the seat that you were going to seek? And then also how you made that happen. You not only won the seat, you came in first in a crowded primary. So talk me through that evolution a little bit. Well, it's kind of an interesting story. I say that my path into public service started in the forest preserves, that once I learned how precious these remnant places were that harbor globally significant assemblages of plants and animals, one also recognizes that many of them have been neglected by those charged with their care, 
Uh, they're in degraded condition. The volunteers and the staff of the Forest Preserve District are working assiduously to try to restore health. And in places where they've been doing that for quite some time, we see rare species returning. Indeed, federally endangered species are in our Cook County Forest Preserves. But that led me to get more active politically to advocate for more resources to be devoted to their care, to volunteer to help elect more reform-minded people to the Cook County Board who cared about the Forest Preserve District and would pay attention to the concerns of volunteers. And then I learned about a candidate training program that the Democratic Women in Illinois launched called the Illinois Women's Institute for Leadership. And they launched that in the early 2000s to try to get more women in the pipeline mm -hmm. to eventually be elected to Congress. And I thought, well, someday I might want to run for the Cook County Board because of their oversight and responsibility for the forest preserves, which is what I cared about. And I applied to that training program and was accepted in 2003. Uh, it's a wonderful program. I'm now on the board. It's now called the Illinois Women's Institute for Leadership Training Academy. But um, they train about a dozen women a year. And happily, we do have an alumna who's a member of Congress, Sherry Bustos, uh, Juliana Stratton, our lieutenant governor, a number of members of the General Assembly, and three other members of the Water Reclamation Board now have been through that program. But I was still biding my time. I have an excellent member of the county board representing me. I wasn't going to challenge him. And then in early 2005, uh, a young man approached me and asked if I would consider running for the Water Reclamation District. Uh, he knew about my background. By then I had been editing a quarterly magazine called Chicago Wilderness and was this active volunteer. And I knew about the agency and the role it plays in managing water resources. And I happen to believe that water will be the issue in years to come. Because as I explained, there are no substitutes for fresh water. And I thought, given my interest in conservation, I might have something to bring to the board. Um, it's a very difficult race to run. You run at large throughout Cook County, the second biggest county in the country, for an agency that few people know what they do. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was fortunate in having a group of seasoned advisors around me and I decided to give it a shot in 2005 and I won the primary as you noted in 2006 and I've since won two subsequent elections. So having those trusted advisors and going through that training those seem like really important things that you did to help you achieve that goal. I mean what uh, kinds of specific strategies, either that you learned from that training or that your advisors recommended, would you say really helped you in the election process? I think it helped that I was a bit older when I decided to run. My son was in college. I was 53. So I'd had some lived experience. And I think anyone running for office needs to do a background check and evaluate how many different social networks am I a part of or can I reach out to and stitch together 
to build a broad constituency of support. So in the political realm, I would have said my base was the conservation community, where I had been active and knew quite a few people, and I was known as the editor of this magazine. But I also was a member of the LGBT community and the Jewish community, and uh, had been active with uh, Howard Dean's campaign, and there were uh, former Deaniacs, if you will, or, or they had become part of Democracy for America from Dean for America. And so I was reaching out to all these different groups to try to build support, get volunteers, uh, get campaign contributions, and that sort of thing. I think it helped that I was comfortable writing and speaking and able to tell a story about why I was right for this agency. Mm -hmm. And once you were elected, once you stepped onto the board, into the role, what have been some of the biggest challenges or surprises? Well, one thing I learned is that it's, uh, it's one thing to be a successful candidate. It's another entirely to be a successful member of a board or successful legislator. They require different skills and, to some extent, different mindsets. Um, I'm still learning of trying to be a successful commissioner. And I know every year you put out this amazing annual report where you talk about all the things that you've taken on and accomplished and, and worked on in the past year. I mean, can you highlight for us a few things that were maybe particularly challenging, but you're really proud that you, uh, that you saw through? Sure, I'm happy to mention two, and thanks for asking. I do want to note that nothing gets done by any one of us alone. Mm -hmm. We're a nine-member board, so you need at least four other votes to get something done, though often we are uh, in unanimity about uh, measures. But two things that I'm proudest of and that I kind of led the charge on was one we just this year uh, established an independent inspector general for our agency. This is an agency with a billion dollar budget. That's taxpayer money. We spend hundreds of millions a year on construction contracts and did not have that independent oversight of the work of the agency. I felt like it's just a best practice in good governance and was warranted, not because I feel that the agency is rife with waste and corruption. It's not. It's well run. We still have a AAA bond rating. But any agency populated by human beings <laughs> can learn to do things better, perhaps save money. And this is something I and my staff had worked on for a number of years, proposing to our agency. I always thought it was better to do it not in the wake of a scandal, as has happened at Metra in the past, but because it was a good practice in governance. But it took long enough that a few things happened at our agency that I think uh, made a number of my colleagues realize we could benefit from having this. And I'm proud to say that we have engaged in a intergovernmental agreement with Cook County to provide that independent oversight for our agency uh, it's a model of shared governance. We think it gives us a quicker on-ramp and more resources for less money. And uh, this went into effect in April, and they're now introducing themselves to 
our agency, and I'm really proud of that. I think eventually it will change our culture and mm -hmm. result in more savings. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I've been working on, and this is in partnership with the county board, was to uh, propose an ordinance to expand a safe, secure collection program for people to dispose of their unused or expired medicine mm -hmm. so they don't flush it down the toilet. We can't remove at the sewage treatment plants all of the chemicals that come into the plants from drugs that are either flushed down the toilet or poured down the sink. And if people uh, put them in the trash, they may end up in groundwater by leaching from landfills. Uh, and so this was an issue. In fact, uh, some studies are beginning to show detrimental effects on fish of this complex stew of chemicals that are now in our waterways from the drugs that we excrete, but also that are disposed of down the toilet. And so working with Commissioner Larry Sufferton, we introduced an ordinance in the Cook County Board to expand a collection program under the authority of the Cook County Sheriff. I'm happy to say that was adopted several years ago, and the Sheriff's Office has been uh, rapidly expanding that take-back program. Right. And that's really interesting, too, because you did face some challenges in getting that message out because there are, there are different messages from different organizations, right? I mean, some of us have been told that it is okay to flush your medications down the toilet or to put them in kitty litter and throw them in the trash. And, and none of those are the optimal solutions. But how did you go about even that messaging piece of getting the word out to the public? Well, we still have a lot to do in terms of uh, increasing public awareness of, of how to dispose of drugs best and where. Uh, so let me put in a plug. You can go to the Cook County Sheriff's website or to the Water Reclamation website. There's a link. Uh, you can put in your zip code and find out where the closest safe drop boxes are for this take-back program. We have one in our headquarters lobby at 100 East Erie and at the gatehouses of three of our treatment plants. But we need to expand these to make it easy and accessible. The sheriff's office has started a mailback program for seniors or shut-ins who can't get to a drop box. They can just request a postage paid envelope from the sheriff's office and they will send it to them. Uh, but yes, there was opposition because in other places, the state of California and the state of Washington, and I think now in New York, they have adopted statewide programs that require the pharmaceutical manufacturers to pay for the costs of collection and disposal. This fits within this model called product stewardship, where the maker of a product, whether it's paint or tires or electronics, should be responsible for the whole life cycle of the product. And you may be surprised to learn that some of the pharmaceutical companies, uh, some of the biggest and uh, with the biggest profits in the country, uh, opposed having to pay for this program in California and elsewhere. So when we adopted the ordinance in Cook County, we deferred the imposition of any fee until it had been running for a while and we could get a better sense of the costs. And we have yet to impose a fee in Cook County, though 
that may happen. Yeah, that's not a, a non-formidable opponent, <laughs> the pharmaceutical industry. So how do you go about taking on an opponent like that? Or how do you go about working on an issue like that with an industry that isn't necessarily on the same page? What are some of the strategies that you all use to come to some sort of agreement or to legislate without the agreement? Great question. What we did, the, the importance of uh, safe drug take back is not solely about the environment. In fact, principally, it's a public health and public safety measure. One of the things we learned is that 50% of the people who become addicted to prescription drugs start with that drug dealer in their own home, namely their medicine cabinet. So if you can give people a safe way to dispose of drugs quickly and easily once they expire or if they have to change a prescription and they find they have unused drugs and so forth, then you get them out of the house. So we enlisted public safety experts, police and sheriff departments who have to deal with this. We enlisted public health departments who are dealing with addiction and so forth. And we enlisted representatives from the environmental community who are, again, concerned about the effects on water quality and on aquatic life. So we had a broad and diverse coalition of people who came to the county board and provided testimony and lent their names in support of this. And it's really hard to object to something like that. Yeah, something that benefits the environment and reduces opioid dependence and all of those things. Yeah, it doesn't, not a good look to, to be against that. That's for sure. Wow. So as I mentioned, Deborah, we ask two big questions about goals on this podcast. And I feel like I maybe asked you that one without actually asking it in the way I usually ask it, which is what's a big goal you've accomplished? Why was it important to you? And how did you get there? But I feel like that's what you were answering with those questions. Um, although I am curious, I know that you have some some personal goals, too, right, that relate to your hiking and climbing. So Maybe we could talk about those a little bit. Uh, you have a you have a good trip coming up, right? That is is a big goal for you. So I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about that goal, um, and then how you see your uh, the way you approach goals in the MWRD as if that's similar or different to how you approach those sorts of goals in the rest of your life. Cindy, what you may be referring to is the item from my resume that many people will pick up on and note when they're introducing me uh, at meetings and sessions, which is that I've climbed 42 of the mountains in Colorado that are more than 14,000 feet high. Mm -hmm. They're called 14ers. And I started doing this uh, with my best friend, Lois, who I grew up with in Dallas, and when we were 15, her family moved to Santa Fe, and I started visiting her there. And it was really through her family that I learned how to backpack and camp. And uh, one year, Lois and I were spending some summer vacation together, and we started out in New Mexico and drove up to Colorado, and we were backpacking and saw that there was a mountain over 14,000 feet high. And we said, well, let's try to climb it. <laughs> and we did. And then we climbed a few more, and we started doing this summer after summer together. And if anything, it just betrays a lack of imagination about how to spend one summer vacation because we kept going back and doing this together. And over the years, 
uh, I've done 42. And uh, so this summer, my friend Lois has planned a hut-to-hut hiking trip in the San Juan Mountains in Colorado, uh, where she's invited me to join her family for four nights. We're going to hike between huts that are uh, located in the San Juans, but they're at about eight or 9,000 feet in elevation. It's a beautiful part of Colorado. I'm really looking forward to it. And then, if our legs and our lungs permit, uh, she and I may try to climb Pikes Peak. Um, I haven't done a 14er in quite a few years, but I'm eager to see if I can do a few more. Uh Uh, There are actually 54 of them in Colorado, and a number of the remaining ones are quite difficult, uh, but I'd like to do a few more before I'm done. Mm -hmm. And so that's the goal. I've been riding my bike trying to get my legs in shape, uh, so we'll see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a little uh, less coalition building and more muscle building for that particular kind of goal, right? (laughs) question about what have I learned from doing these outdoor uh, challenges about my work, I would say sometimes you just got to (laughs) plod. Just put one foot in front of the other, and that summit that looks so distant gradually gets closer and Mm -hmm. closer. And if you uh, are just patient and push... It uh, can take a while, but you can get there. Mm. Mm. So true. Well, I was curious, too. I mean, now it's been 12 years, right, that you've been um, a commissioner. Would you say that kind of either your approach or your sort of feeling about the goals that you accomplished there, has it changed in that time? Um, I probably learned to be more patient. Uh, it takes a long time to get things done. I remain impatient at times. I wish we could do things quicker. Uh, But I've learned to just stick it out and keep your eye on the goal. And if you think it's a worthy goal, to not give up. Um, And I'm also aware that I may not be in the best position to say how effective I've been. Um, there are times when I've heard from staff that because I ask questions at board meetings about items on the agenda, and now more of my colleagues are doing the same, uh, staff may no longer advance various projects until they know they have good answers to questions that they anticipate we may ask. Hmm. Those are the kinds of things I'm not even aware of. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yet one can exert a positive influence in that way, too. Oh, yeah, that is really interesting. Well, I think it will be fascinating to continue reading your annual reports um, and seeing those kinds of insights in there, too, would be really incredible. Um, So you just got elected to your third term. I mean, did you know for sure that you wanted to stay for another term? Was that a difficult decision? No, because I felt like there are a few more things I want to get done, and I needed another term to really work on those. Uh, I do feel more and more urgency about climate change and attempting to work on that, both through programs that the Water Reclamation District may undertake, but also trying to use my voice and position as a communicator to develop messaging about climate change 
that touches people in their guts, not in their brains. Because people vote with their guts, not with their brains. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something I want to work on. Recently, uh, my colleague Commissioner Marita uh, solicited a list of all the parcels of land that the Water Reclamation District owns that are no, not currently leased for other uses. And there's quite a few, including in Will County. I'm wondering if we ought to examine those for a very aggressive tree planting program mm. to capture carbon and do what we can, not only to capture carbon, but enhance habitat and provide great recreational spaces for people and so forth. We're working on a number of resource recovery initiatives, including trying to produce more renewable energy through biogas. Uh, so there's a lot to be done, and I think that the district can play a leading role. Right. So when you talk about those kinds of messages about climate change that, that hit people in the gut, uh, is there an example of that or something that the, M the MWRD is working on? The tree planting, I mean, I think is just so compelling, but... Um, but in terms of the message that, that moves people to action, um, is there something you've heard or something that you can think of that, that gets at that? Not yet. I wanted to do some research and basically see if we can adapt the techniques of messaging used in political campaigns mm -hmm. by developing messages, but then testing them with focus groups and other mechanisms to see what resonates mm -hmm. and then use those. I was uh, also curious about climate change as well. Well, I mean, I'm curious about climate change and terrified about climate change. And I wonder if you are still um, optimistic at all, and if so, how you stay that way. Well, I understand people feeling dismayed. So I think it was a British uh, gentleman named Sir David King who said, uh, Climate change is not the challenge of our time, it's the challenge of all time. We need to be determined and resolute because we can do big things. There's lots of examples of that. And from pledging to go out four times a year, once each season, to do this work of habitat restoration, which will make our local county places more resilient, to capture more rainwater, to provide habitat, to clean the air. That's something we all can do and make a difference in our world that's also good for us. There's plenty more individual actions we can do, including voting <laughs> for candidates who acknowledge that this is the challenge of all time. Uh, we will have to rise to this challenge and our world will be changed. We're already past the point where we can recapture the climate of our youth, but it's not too late to do what we need to do to transition off of fossil fuels, to reduce carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases, and to reinvigorate our culture and our economy. So maybe uh, optimistic isn't the right word. It's like motivated and activated and uh, and taking action, right? What are, because I do think a lot of our listeners are um, 
terrified, are scared, are motivated, but but don't necessarily know what else to do either on an individ- individual level or, um, you know, even getting somewhat involved on a on a local or city or county level. Um, are there other things that you'd recommend um, besides the volunteering for conservation, voting, very important? Um, are there other small things that people can do every day or slightly bigger things if they're ready to take a bigger step? Sure. A couple of thoughts in the on the waterfront, uh, if you live in a dwelling that has an older toilet, one of the biggest things you can do that will conserve water is buy a new low-flow toilet or dual-flush toilet. They use much less water to uh, convey uh, urine or excrement to our, our sewage treatment plants. And, and the toilet is one of the biggest water users in your home. Hmm. Um, my best friend, as I mentioned, lived for a time in Santa Fe. And when I visit her, water there is much more costly and more scarce. It's an arid climate. She would keep a bucket in her shower stall. And every morning when she turned on the water and waited for it to heat up, she would capture that in a bucket hmm. and use that to water her plants or water her garden. If you live in an apartment, you can use that to flush your toilet. Mm-hmm. It's perfectly good drinking water just going down the drain in that minute or less it takes to heat up the shower. So I started doing that, and I discovered I'm capturing 10 or more gallons a week. Uh, and it's pennies in terms of the monetary savings, but it's something you can do that demonstrates uh, conservation of a precious resource. Monitor your water use. Only run the dishwasher when it's full or do a load of laundry when it's full and things like that. We ripped up our lawn on our front yard and replaced it with ground cover, ivy and vinca so that we don't have to irrigate it, we don't have to mow it. It's a beautiful, we planted some oak trees, we have a little savanna in our front yard. Uh, So liberate part of your lawn. It's the biggest irrigated crop in America is the American lawn. And what does it produce? So uh, there are those kinds of things. I would say monitor your use of a car if you have a car. Can you cut down on the number of trips to the grocery store or take public transit uh, occasionally uh, or often? things like that to uh, reduce your use of fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're in Skokie, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, how did Skokie feel about the, the lawn situation? Well, uh, I heard no objections from the village about it and some wonderful comments from neighbors. Uh, we did years ago, we've been in our house for 20 years, and when I was first running for office, I talked about ripping up our asphalt driveway mm-hmm. and trying to replace it with a permeable surface so that rainwater falling on the driveway uh, could infiltrate and recharge our underground aquifer. Uh, it could have been gravel or there are kinds of permeable asphalt or, or permeable paving bricks now. And what we calculated was it would save between nine and 10,000 gallons a year if we could replace our little asphalt driveway with a permeable surface. Well, at the time, the village said you can only use concrete or paving bricks, uh, not 
a permeable surface. So I haven't gone back to them. We, we It's breaking up on its own. Our <laughs> it's be, uh, becoming permeable. Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. We, we haven't uh, undertaken that project yet. But uh, later we calculate if we could capture all the rain that falls on our roof and on our driveway, <laughs> it would come to 145% of our annual water use. We looked at our water bills, how much mm. water we use, and how much is delivered free of charge, mm -hmm. pretty much fresh water in the form of rain mm -hmm. to our roof and driveway. Problem is we don't have a way to capture and store and treat it to drinking water quality. Mm -hmm. But that just tells you that we live in a water-rich area. Mm -hmm. And when that water runs into the street, Skokie and 60 of our older communities, including Chicago, have combined sewers. So as soon as it runs down that street drain, it mixes with sewage, it gets sent to a sewage treatment plant where we treat it, but that treated water is discharged into our system of waterways and ends up in the Gulf of Mexico. Hmm. We don't put it back into Lake Michigan. Hmm. And that's just not sustainable. And so interesting to think through that whole process that most people don't know about. And and what I really liked about those small actions you were talking about, too, um, whether it's capturing your shower water or even just having an increased awareness of all this is that, um, you know, it's so easy to feel like, well, I'm just one person doing this small thing. What does it matter? But I feel like the mindfulness that creates about our water system has to be like the first step into making a bigger difference, right? Um, and that's just really important. And both taking that step and, and knowing that bigger picture, I think, can be really helpful for people. I don't know if that's what you find when you talk about these kinds of things. There's another quote I want to share with you that I came across by a fellow named Will Durst, and he wrote, we're probably known around the universe as that really noisy blue planet where everyone pees in their water. <laughs> I like it. That's great. Um, well, Deborah, as I mentioned, too, uh, the other big question that we ask on this podcast is about a goal you have for the future, why it's important to you and how you plan to get there. So you've already talked about some of the big goals that you have um, uh, as a commissioner. And you've talked about your your goal of, of uh, climbing a few more 14ers, too. But is there another goal that you didn't already talk about that you wanted to highlight? Or? Well, one of the things I've been thinking about, one of the things I've been thinking about, and I don't know how this will unfurl into a specific goal, but if we were to take a blank slate and ask how should we manage our water resources in an intelligent, good stewardship way for the 21st century, we would not have separate departments for drinking water and wastewater and stormwater. We would be managing our fresh water as an entire ecosystem, which it is. But currently, because we have different departments, a city department of water management, a countywide sewage treatment and stormwater agency, they have different objectives and there are what I call structural perversities that are impediments to that kind of really wise management going forward. So might there be ways for us to work more closely with each other, to collaborate with the drinking water agencies, 
throughout Cook County to remove those impediments, to share resources, to, to combine some activities so that you see uh, savings in purchasing of electricity, of chemicals, of uh, deployment of fleets, all kinds of things like that, that may lead to smarter, better, and, and wiser stewardship of this precious resource going forward. Right. So is this, I, I don't know for sure if you said this, is this your last term, do you think, or...? I'm not saying I do want to make way for ducklings. I think it's important to cultivate younger leaders, but uh, it may be that uh, a number of these big ideas will uh, carry me through into another term. I have enough time to decide. Well, it seems to me like a broad coalition with a varied backgrounds, some institutional knowledge um, combined with, with newer leadership is like, sounds like a beautiful thing, like it could be a beautiful thing for <laughs> the future of, of the agency. So, um, Deborah, I can't thank you enough for, for joining us today and, and talking to us, educating us about um, where our water comes from, where it goes, and what we can do to help protect it. So I'm, I'm really grateful. Um, if uh, I know I keep talking about the annual report that you do and you put out a number of other communications that I would really encourage people to to read because they're also just really beautifully written and really engaging and I think really can start to shift the dialogue um, and really get people involved in a way that they haven't uh, necessarily considered doing before. Um, but are there other ways that, that you would encourage people to stay up to date with what the MWRD is doing, with what you're doing, with what uh, the state of our water in the city and the county and the surrounding environment. Are there other ways to follow up? Thank you, Cindy. It's been a pleasure to be with you. I do issue an occasional electronic newsletter. So if anyone listening wishes to receive it, you can sign up on my website. It's mostly about environmental topics. Uh, such as, is it better to put your food waste down a garbage disposal or throw it out in the trash? Something people wonder a lot. The answer is, if your waste goes to a sewage plant that has anaerobic digesters that produce renewable biogas, it's actually better to use a garbage disposal Hmm. than to put your food waste in the trash. Best of all is to have no waste or to compost at home. But if you do have food waste and a garbage disposal, and you can find out where your waste goes by checking a map uh, on the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District website. Uh, And as you know, I issue an annual report each year. It too is up on my website. A number of my colleagues on the board have their own uh, websites or issue newsletters or post through Facebook or Twitter. Uh, and uh, there's a, a lot of ways to learn what to do. Wonderful. Well, we will put many of those links in our show notes. And again, really appreciate your time and your expertise and your passion. Thank you so much, Deborah, for joining us today. You're welcome. Yeah, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. This podcast is a sweatlife.com production. And it's another thing that's better with friends. So please share it with yours. You can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you have a chance to leave us a rating or a review while you're there, we would truly appreciate it. Special thanks to Jay Mono for our theme music, to our guests this week, Deborah Shore, to Tech Nexus for the recording studio, 
to Ryan Deffitt for editing, and an extra special thanks to you, our listeners.